Well, good morning. We've been thinking so far uh, a little bit about our experiences of, of being mothered uh, or perhaps our experiences of uh, mothering. And we're going to spend these next few moments together thinking uh, about God's love and this analogy of our love for our mothers, our mother's love for us, our, our love for our parents, our fathers, our father's love for us can sometimes be helpful uh, when thinking of our relationship with God. Uh, but I think it can also uh, be problematic uh, in some ways, and I want to explore uh, more that angle of it uh, together this morning. The title I've been given for this morning is God is Love. Well, God loves us, doesn't he? He loves us unconditionally. Of course he does. That's who he is. He's a nice uh, guy. He forgives us uh, when we mess up. He looks out for us. He wants us uh, to achieve our best. And because he looks after us, we ought then to look after others. Oh, and by the way, he loves us so much that he died on a cross for us. Perhaps sometimes we'll accept a little bit of discipline from him from time to time, as we might do uh, from our parents. But he's not really going to do anything to upset us or trouble us too much. Life is already full of enough troubles, isn't it? Well, that might sound like a little bit of a parody. Uh, perhaps we wouldn't be so quite so crass as to talk about God's love in that way. But I do have to say that as I listen to, uh, you know, I've heard many sermons uh, speaking of God's love. I've heard many different speakers touch on God's love. And I sometimes reflect and ponder on the words of some of the worship songs uh, that we sing. And as I do so, I think that perhaps uh, such a crude uh, statement, parody, is maybe not all that far wide of the mark. And so I want to suggest today uh, that maybe we've got this all the wrong way round. We too often think of God's love in terms of ourselves, how it affects us. And I think that's a little bit like looking through the wrong end of a telescope. And the result is that it makes everything seem so much smaller. God's love is seen as small and mundane, rather than glorious and completely filling our field of vision. So I want us to zoom out, as it were, and try and get that bigger picture. And to do that, I want us to turn to see what God's word really says about his love. We're going to go back into uh, the first letter of John, chapter four, uh, which we were looking at a few weeks ago. Uh, Lou uh, took us through that, thinking of how God's uh, servant heartedness towards us uh, requires us to have that servant-hearted attitude towards others. Uh, and this chapter is generally agreed to the heart or the climax of this small letter. And I want to read a few verses from a little bit further on from where we were before. So this is first letter of John, chapter four, and I'm going to read from verse 14. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the saviour of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. 
God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is so also are we in this world. Now as we've observed this chapter is the, the, the heart, the climax of all that John uh, is writing uh, to the early church. Um, but I think it's problematic if we begin at the climax. I think we need to step back and say, how did we get here? How did John lead us to this point? And for that, I think we need to go back to the beginning of the letter. If we flick back uh, a couple of pages in verse five of the opening chapter, the author, John, establishes another intrinsic attribute of God. He declares, verse five, that God is light. God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. This is the Apostle's starting point as he writes his letter. It has echoes of the opening of his gospel account of the life of Jesus. And therefore, it should be ours as well. So let's think a little bit about light. Well, firstly, light helps us to see clearly. And we mustn't think of uh, a torch uh, or even a searchlight that's shining on a dark night or a light we switch on when we come into the house. No, this is a brilliant, dazzling light, like a fierce noonday sun, which completely overwhelms and banishes the darkness. So firstly, light helps us to see clearly. Secondly, as John also makes clear here, this dazzling light is a representation of God's goodness, of his purity, of his holiness. In him, there is no darkness. So I want to think about God is love as a statement set in the context of God is light. We have here two inseparable and intrinsic characteristics of God. God's love cannot be separated from God's holiness and any attempt to do so diminishes both his holiness and his love. It diminishes God. It's not what the biblical authors would believed. So what does this tell us about God's love? Well, let's go back to 1 John uh, chapter 4 and the first verse that we read. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the saviour of the world. Now, whenever the New Testament speaks of God's love, it always seems to be in the context of forgiveness of sins, of his saving, redemptive work. And yet it seems to me we so operate often separate those two things. We can speak of God's love without speaking of the need for rescue, without need for the need for forgiveness, without the need for atonement. And one of the most famous verses in the Bible, again, authored by uh, the Apostle John, we read in John 
chapter 3, John's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 16, it also picks up this theme. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. For God so loved the world that these things follow. What this is clearly saying is that the way in which God reveals and demonstrates his love for his creation, for us, is precisely through this act of self-sacrificial giving. It's not just about us, it's about the whole of creation. Moreover, in verse 18, John indicates that this demonstration of God's love demands a response. So is God's love unconditional? Well, the answer, I think, is yes and no. It's conditional in that it's freely offered to each one of us. It's freely available to each one of us. But we only experience the reality of that love at work in our lives as we embrace and accept what Jesus has done on the cross. Back, we're sorry we're leaping around a bit here, but back again to 1 John chapter 4. And there we also read that in verse 16 that we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. We, that is those who accept God's offer of salvation in Jesus, have come to know God's love. And John goes on to talk about remaining, about abiding in God's love. And the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Again, we'd have to jump back to John's gospel in chapter 15, where we where he expounds what it means to abide in God's love. And here it's an imperative that we should seek to abide, to remain in God's love through doing the will of the father, just as Jesus did the will of his father. It's something that requires continual and intentional response on our part. So that's a very brief look at the background uh, behind uh, this idea that God is love is set in the context of God is light. So how do we bring this into land? How do we bring this to bear? on our lives, on how do we respond to this? And I think there are a number of different ways that we can do so. First of all, I think we've got to stop thinking about God's love in terms of how it affects us. God's love is intrinsic to who he is. It's the love of the Father for the Son and the love of the Son for the Father, which has existed 
throughout all eternity, since before the creation of the world, before, if you like, we were even a twinkle in God's eye. The Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father. We see that so clearly as we read John's Gospel. We haven't got time to go and look at that this morning, but I highly commend that. We see that the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father. It's not dependent on our experience of it or our response to it. It's far greater than that. Secondly, we cannot separate his love from his holiness. In particular, we must not elevate love above any other attribute of God. And I think there's a real tendency uh, in the church these days to somehow claim that love trumps all. And I would suggest that's a worldly attitude. Um, and actually, it's a form of love that means we don't offend anyone. We tolerate everything that everyone does. And that's not the sort of love that John is talking about here, that any of the biblical writers write about. This is God's fearsome love, which guards his purity. But in particular, you know, we mustn't elevate love above any other attribute of God. And that means we cannot choose between God's love and God's truth. Again, as I've often heard say, if I have to choose, then I will choose love over truth. If we truly love and we truly know the truth, there will be no conflict between them. The two will fit together hand in glove. Moreover, once we begin to fully uh, grasp the extent of God's love, then I believe we will also grasp the full extent of his purity. The Puritans get rather a bad press for being a bit dour, uh, for being a bit, woe is me, I'm a worm, I am unworthy. Uh, and there is certainly that strand in many of their writings. But if you read them carefully, you'll find that many of the Puritan writers have written some of the most amazing um, descriptions of, uh, reflections on the love of God. These two things go together. God demonstrated his love by sending his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That is a statement of the depth, the, the extreme nature of our position in relation to God. And we need to grasp that. And I believe that the more we grasp that, then the more we will grasp the magnitude and the overwhelming power of God's love. So we cannot um, separate God's love from his holiness. And we particularly, we can't elevate one above the other. Thirdly, there's an unbreakable link between God's love and the costly redemption of creation from, the, from sin. Now, perhaps we're on slightly more familiar ground, but again, I think there's a caveat. This is first and foremost about God, not about his creation and not about us. Jesus went to the cross in obedience out of love for his father. 
And we read in John 15 that he demonstrated his love by obedience. Obedience and love come together. He was doing the will of the Father. So this is a demonstration of Jesus, the Son's love for the Father. It's also a demonstration of the Father's Son for the Father's love for his Son. We read again that God would glorify Jesus through the work that he did on the cross. He would be lifted high. He would be glorified. God was lavishing his love on him as a result of this action. So fundamentally, the work of the cross speaks to us about the intrinsic love of God. And secondly, it speaks about how that redeems uh, and brings salvation into his creation. So there's this unbreakable link between God's love and the atoning work of Christ on the cross. And the early church writers always held those two things together. And I believe if that's what they did, that's what we should do too. And yet I hear talk of God's love so often, which doesn't mention the work of Jesus on the cross. And once we grasp this unbreakable link, we will realise that to reject this love, this demonstration of who God is, this offer of salvation is truly an offence against a holy and loving God. And then finally and fourthly, God's love is transformative. A, God, a love that encourages us, that builds us up, that picks us up when we fall over, that provides for our needs, a therapeutic kind of love, um, has its place. But it's not going to transform our lives radically. It's not going to make us more like Jesus. Jesus did die for our sins. And if we allow him, if we remain in his love, seeking to do his will and his pleasure, God will transform our lives. The personal aspect is not unimportant. It's just a very small part of the picture. And the way we experience God's love for us in his care for us and through our response in love is no less real. But it's a very poor and limited way, I would suggest, to speak of God's love. And in diminishing our notion of God's love, we are diminishing our view of who God is. And also, if we primarily look at God's love from our perspective rather than from God's perspective, then we are making ourselves rather than Jesus, I would suggest, the centre of our lives. So let's pray. Father, this uh, topic of your love is so vast. It's so huge. And I feel so often we only really scratch the surface in trying to 
to get our heads around it and in our experience of it. And in doing so, we understand so little about who you truly are. Father, I pray that as we ponder these things, as we begin to reflect on the intrinsic nature of who you are, that you are light, that you are love, that you are holy and good and pure, and that you are loving and gracious and merciful. As we ponder these things, Father, I pray that you would give us a greater understanding of who you are, and through that, a greater experience of your love. And help us always, Lord, to keep our notion and our thoughts about your love in the context of your redeeming work on the cross. We thank you that out of obedience, obedience in love for his father, Jesus was willing to go to the cross. And that in this, you demonstrate your love for him as he demonstrates his love for you. And it also demonstrates your love for the whole of your creation. Lord, may our reflection and meditation on your love be centred in you and not in our experience. May we put you truly first in our lives, desiring to do your will and pleasure in all things, continually asking what you are doing so that like Jesus, we may say that today we are doing only what we see the Father, our Father in heaven doing. And may all this be to your greater glory. Amen.